Well, good morning, everybody. Everybody wide awake this morning on this gray Midwestern day. I grew up in the Midwest, in Northwest Illinois, and so it's good to be back in the heartland here, and great to be with you. First time on campus. One of the great parts about being a leader, like at Lifeway, is you get to travel around and collect friends. And so everywhere we go, I I get to meet new friends. So it's good to see you. Uh, If you brought a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 9, which is where I'm going to be this morning. But uh, as you turn there, I just want to say thanks for cheering for us at Lifeway. It's been a wild couple of years since I arrived. And uh, just as Jason was describing the transformation that has taken place on this campus physically with the, with the uh, buildings, which it is, by the way, amazing looking, Lifeway's been in a season of digital transformation. Uh, the stores closing a couple of years ago were a big decision. And then to move everything online, we have made massive steps with technology and delivering products and things, books, studies, digitally. And so I hope that in the coming years, you'll be proud to see some of the stuff that we're able to offer you all in your churches and in resources. I want to talk today on the subject of calling, and I want to do so for several reasons. Number one, it seems to be hot on the heart of this campus right now. I know Jason's recent book is on that very subject, and lots of videos and things going out from your institution on calling. But the second reason I want to talk about calling is because according to LifeWay Research, pastors are struggling with their calling. 75% of pastors recently surveyed indicated that their number one struggle in ministry through COVID has been the lack of commitment from their church members. Uh, They're all in, like trying to lead through a time of, of crisis, and church members seem to be kind of opting in, opting out, showing up all the time at sporting events and social things, but seem to be less connected to church. Well, what does that do to the heart of the church leader? It causes him or her to begin to question, okay, am I really called to this? Am I going to stick it out in a season that feels very much out of season? I think when Paul said that, that there would be times where we would preach in season and out of season. I think it's been out of season for the last few years. It hasn't felt easy by any stretch of the imagination. And so I want to speak on calling because I think a lot of pastors are struggling with that and church leaders, but also obviously where you're sitting, you must be considering such things, is how is God calling you and what is he preparing you for? So in 1 Samuel chapter 9, I found an uh, amazing story about the calling of Saul, who I think is probably the greatest dud in the Old Testament. And when you talk about duds, you know, uh, there's a lot of different ways to think about duds. Um, fireworks, you know, every, every dad with kids knows the feeling of, hey, kids, stand back. This is going to be amazing. And nothing happens. I don't think any of you in here hope that your professor one day says, that one, that guy, complete dud. Uh, It happens on the football field, you know. Um, Heisman Trophy winners go to the NFL and sit the bench, and they threw a lot of money at that guy. What a waste of time. It happens in music. In 1982, there was a song that went like this. Hey, Mickey, you're so fine. You're so fine, you blow my mind. Hey, Mickey. That group never went on to record another hit song. It was a one-hit wonder, a total dud. Nobody in this room wants to be that person. They started off strong, but they finished poorly. And in the Old Testament, uh, all eyes were on this first king, Saul, who uh, 
was, you know, representing Israel in a very peculiar time. Israel had a couple of things going against it. Of course, one was just it was sandwiched between superpowers, so constantly unstable politically. The second problem it had was governmental structure was tribalized or colonized. They didn't have a central army. They didn't have kind of an organized militia. And so they were very vulnerable and fragile. Now, we all know from reading the Old Testament that God had said, I will provide for you. I'll take care of you. I'll protect you. And yet they began asking for a king so they could have what other countries uh, were wanting. And so in 1 Samuel 9.1, we meet Saul, whose name literally means asked for. And this is what we read in 1 Samuel 9.1 from the CSB. There was a prominent man of Benjamin named Kish, son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Bekorath, son of Aphiah, son of a Benjamite. And I'll explain why all the names are there in a moment. He had a son named Saul, an impressive young man, and there was no one more impressive among the Israelites than he. He stood a head taller than anyone else. So there you have it. Saul is a large man. I kind of see Saul like a Marvel character in my mind, maybe Thor. He's a big, strong guy. And when he walks into a room, people can't not notice him. He's not only tall, but apparently uh, a, a big, strong, muscular guy. Get that sense. Not only that, he comes from stock. Uh, when, I, when I read that list of names, son of, son of, son of, this seems to be an indication that he came from prominence. So Saul has two things going for him. He has a solid pedigree and solid pectorals. Two things I did not receive in life. So I don't like him already. I don't like people like him who seem to have it all together. And yet, even those of us who have read Scripture long enough know that early on in the story, we're, we're already kind of curious how this is going to turn out because this isn't how God normally works. God normally chooses the obscure David out in the field who had no size or prominence. The disciples were ordinary, unschooled men. And so we do question, where is this going to end up with Saul and yet Saul uh, has a path that's been marked out for him, just like you have a path that has been marked out for you. Uh, when Lindley and I were in Colorado, and I'll tell that story in just a moment, we, uh, we did a lot more hiking than we do in Nashville. Uh, but hiking always has a trailhead. And when you start at the trailhead, there's a clear path, and it's up to you whether you're going to stay on the path or not, but it's highly recommended. And we seem to see, uh, see in Scripture that in Romans it says that there is a good, perfect, and pleasing path or will for your life. The question will be, will you follow it? And in hard times, will you stay on it? Saul has this moment where God seems to set him apart for a calling. And it begins in verse 3 on the wildly uh, boring day. It says in verse 3, one day the donkeys of Saul's father, Kish, wandered off. And Kish said to his son, Saul, take one of the servants with you and go and look for those donkeys. So look what Saul is doing. He's donkey chasing for his dad on the biggest day of his life. This is not Instagram worthy material. This is not something you would post and make all of your friends jealous. He's just doing what he's been told to do. And he has no earthly idea about what God is going to do in his life. So I've got three calling principles that come out of this great passage in the Old Testament. And the first one is this. You likely have no idea where God is going to call you. You think you've got it figured out. You likely have no idea what the next season and seasons of your life are going to look like. Forrest Gump said, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. It's not in the Bible. It should be. 
It really is consistent with what we read in Scripture, and that is all of us think we've got this plan or this vision for how, how our life is going to turn out, but what are you going to do when it isn't? When it doesn't happen just as you planned, or when your first church doesn't turn out just as you had visualized. So Saul thinks he's going to inherit the family farm, live high on the hog, settle down, make some good money, but he has no clue what God's about to do. And in verse 6, we see this. The servant said, look, there's a man of God in this city who is highly respected. Everything he says is sure to come true. Let's go there now. Maybe he'll tell us where we should go. They couldn't find the donkeys. And so the servant says, why don't we go to the prophet's house? Maybe he knows. I'm so grateful that church members don't go to the pastor's house now when they lose their pets. But there seems to be um, some surprise in the text here because not only did the servant suggest that they go to Samuel's house, but Saul actually thinks it's a good idea. I don't know why. And so they go and they uh, decide that they're going to uh, knock on the door of the prophet to see uh, what's going to happen. And, And we know by reading the fullness of the story is that there are no accidents or coincidences with God. This whole thing's been planned because Samuel's already been tapped that this random tall guy is going to show up. He should be anointed king. And so we just never know what God is planning behind the scenes of our lives, do we? It's pretty amazing that I'm standing here right now as a president of Lifeway Christian Resources. Talk about a place I never thought I would be. Uh, my wife and I, Lindley, we pastored in West Tennessee for 12 years and had an incredible experience in a great church. And in the midst of all that, God began to lay on our hearts a missionary call. Our kids were nine, eight, seven, and six. And we thought if there's ever gonna be a time where we do something wild, now's the time. So we signed on with the North American Mission Board and to the complete surprise of our church, resigned the church, announced we were moving to Denver, Colorado to start a church from scratch. About 65 people ended up uprooting their lives and moving with us. It was amazing. We started a Bible study in our basement, and it was protested heavily by the HOA. And so then we had to move into the elementary school, and then we moved into a high school, and then finally we moved our church into a restored Walmart building because the prices are always cheaper at Walmart. (laughs) And so we had just finally reached the place where we weren't pulling cases every morning, dealing with school officials, constant instability of knowing if we were going to have a place to meet. Our church was growing. It was strong. We had appointed elders. We, we had strong uh, staff structure. We finally, to, to kind of think about Moses, we had crossed into the promised land. And just as soon as we had crossed in, we weren't there but a couple of months in this newly designed space when Lifeway called. And when they called, uh, I was certain that I was not their guy. Lindley was even more certain that I was not their guy and that we would not be going to Lifeway, but we did feel a tug to just be a voice in the process and to give some encouragement about the kind of person representing churches in the West that we'd love to see lead Lifeway. And over the course of time, it became more and more clear that God was calling us away from our five-year-old church that we deeply loved to lead an organization that needed a vast amount of of leadership and change. And so for me to stand here and say, you likely have no idea where God is going to call you, I'm saying that because that has been absolutely true in my life. But I know this, there is joy and there is peace in the obedience of the call. And 
I don't know if you're a planner in the room. Any, any, anybody admit that they love to plan? Planning is a good thing. Jason, it's probably good that you're a planner. Planning is a good thing, but our planning often must be subservient to the sovereignty of God. So in his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps, Proverbs 16, 9. Jesus said, only a fool builds a tower without planning. Only a fool uh, goes out to start a war without considering whether he has the troops. So planning in scripture is a good thing. But I just want to go ahead and warn you, all of your best laid plans, who knows if those are going to happen? But I do know this, God is going to call each of you to a path and you likely right now don't know exactly what that looks like. And so Saul has made a plan for his life, but then he shows up at Samuel's house and skipping ahead to verse 15, look what's happening. Now the day before Saul's arrival, the Lord had informed Samuel at this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will save them from the Philistines. And Samuel does that. He calls out Saul as the king. But notice in verse 21, the response of Saul with humility at the beginning of his life. Saul responds, am I not a Benjaminite from the smallest of Israel's tribes? And isn't my clan the least important of all the clans of the Benjaminite tribe? So why have you said something like this to me? So principle number one in calling, you likely have no idea where you're, where you're going to be called. Number two, you will likely feel ill-equipped for that calling. Saul feels ill-equipped. He says, why have you said these things to me? A young couple in seminary, newly married, gets pregnant three months into the marriage. This was not planned. But like it or not, here comes a baby. A young man is promoted from student pastor to senior pastor when the senior pastor has a moral failure. Now he gives oversight to staff and people twice his age. Before his first staff meeting, he's in the back room, thrown up in the garbage can. He doesn't feel ready for this call. All of us have moments in our life when there is a gap between our skill set and the size of the task. That space between, that gap that lives between my skill set and the size of the task is what Hebrews 11 describes as faith, and it's impossible to please God without that gap. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So God, in, in his sovereignty, is, is going to continually place you into positions or into places in ministry where there seems to be a large gap between who you are and what needs to get done. And that's where God is going to grow you the most. I have a friend named Reggie who's a physical trainer. And I was talking to him a while back about, I said, what kind of people in the gym like really like kind of drive you nuts? And he said, oh, it's easy. He just took no time to think about it. He goes, it's the guy who says this, I got this. He said, I'm watching him over there work out. He's all contorted. His back's all fun. He's going to hurt himself. I walk over just to give him a few pointers. He says, I got this. And when he told me that story, it made me think about the amount of times that I felt overwhelmed in ministry and the Lord was like dealing with me. And I was just kind of with God like, I got this. Part of the adventure of following the Lord in ministry is there are going to be a lot of times when you, you just don't got this. You feel in over your head. 
That's part of it. First Corinthians, Paul says, brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many of you were wise from human perspective. Not many were powerful. Not many of you were noble birth. But instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God likes to use people with gaps. And so for the sake of time, I want to skip ahead and show you just after Samuel anoints Saul, because there's one more principle here that I think we need to grab. As Saul gets up to go home, look what happens in chapter 10. If you want to skip over to chapter 10, verse 9. And when Saul turned around to leave Samuel, watch this, God changed his heart and all the signs came about that day. One version says, God gave him another heart. Another translation says, God just changed his heart. Old Testament scholars seem to indicate that this is likened to the New Testament filling of the Holy Spirit. That something significant happened that day to Saul's heart, which was required for his calling. So principle number three, you will surely experience a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit when you follow the call of God. Now, let me just give you a quick flyover of the Old Testament study of this. You remember Moses um, was approached by some of his apprentices and said, Moses, we're concerned. There are other people around camp now that are saying they've got this thing called spirit. And Moses was appalled that they would say that. And in Numbers eleven twenty nine, 29, he said, are you jealous on my account? If only all of the Lord's people were prophets and the Lord would place his spirit on all of them, which, which takes us to the prophecy of Joel. Through him, God says, after this, I will pour out my spirit on all humanity and young people will see visions. So God predicts the coming era when a Holy Spirit would fill many more people. And then fast forward again, Jesus shows up on Christmas day for about 30 years. People think he's a dud. Then he goes off into the wilderness, comes back and Luke 4, 14 says, Jesus returned to Galilee, but this time in the power of the Holy Spirit, which he needed for his public ministry. From there, Jesus fulfills his calling. He dies on the cross, rises from the grave, reappears to his disciples. And what does he say to them? Look, I'm sending you what my father has promised you. Stay in this city until you have been empowered from on high. You've received the Holy Spirit's power. And of course, that day would come 50 days later in Pentecost, which marked the birth of the local church, the filling of the Holy Spirit. God supplies the power to his people as he calls them. You will, as you are obedient to the call, receive the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and that's what should give you confidence. Now, with my time remaining, I do want to just answer a couple of calling questions on a practical level that I think um, just always we should talk about these questions, especially people in your season of life are asking. I know my daughter's 17 years old, thinking about God's will for her life. She's asking these questions. When I was in seminary, I was asking these questions. And the first one is just simply how to know if I'm being called to something. Um, Jason, I haven't had a chance to read your book yet. I'm looking forward to reading it. I have read Jeff Orge's little book on calling, which is also help, very helpful. Jeff says that a call is a profound impression from God. It happens rarely, and it has significant life-altering ramifications. And when God calls you to something, it's life-changing. Uh, let me tell you my calling story. Uh, I was doing college ministry in my 20s at a church in West Tennessee. And I got a call one night from the chairman of the deacons of the church saying I should come up to the church immediately. It was 9 p.m. I looked at my wife and I said, I think I'm about to be fired and I have no idea why. 
So they called me up to the church, and I went into the fellowship hall, and when I came into the fellowship hall, there was one single chair facing two large semicircle of chairs, about 48 men. It was like sitting before the Jewish Sanhedrin. (laughs) And so they, they bring me in, they sit me down, and the chairman of the deacon says, hey, Ben, we want you to know that there's been a meeting. I'm interested in the meeting. So the pastor who's been here 23 years, Phil, he's been here. He's put his blessing on this. And we just want you to know we've been praying together and we believe that God has called you to take the baton from Phil and be the next pastor of our church. And he began to just affirm me and speak into my life and encourage me. All those men came and surrounded me and prayed over me. And you know, when things like that happen, you're supposed to say, let me pray about it. I really didn't need to pray about it. I knew in that moment that God was calling me to be a pastor. And there were hard times in leading that church. Everything wasn't easy. There were difficult decisions to be made. There were highs and there were lows. But the thing that kept me there, the thing that kept me faithful was that night sitting in the chair, that moment of calling. It is a profound impression, and it changes the rest of your life. I felt unqualified, but I felt called. The second question, though, about calling calling is this. What method does God use to call his people? And there does seem to be three, crisis, contemplation, and community. And let me just talk through those three, and you can take this outline and teach it because I think, it's a, I think it's really helpful to teach this material. So first of all, sometimes God calls us through sudden dramatic experiences or crisis. Think about the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. He was a religious terrorist at the time, pretty busy in that, when Jesus appeared to him and suddenly appointed him to be missionary to the Gentiles. Peter, same way, I'm on, on the water's edge doing the fishing thing. When suddenly Jesus shows up, drop your nets, follow me, and, Jesus, and Peter followed him. So there are some that had these sudden, dramatic calling experiences. I have friend that, friends that have those experiences, supernatural stories of calling. I don't have those stories, but I don't doubt or question theirs. Sometimes God calls us through sudden and dramatic experiences. But sometimes God calls us through contemplation or reasoned decision-making. The great Christian apologist of the last hundred years, uh, Clive Staples Lewis, I think his conversion story is one of the most interesting of all. Uh, You probably know it, but he had been struggling with the idea of God for years, the loss of his mother when he was nine years old, cancer, hatred, and resentment toward religion. And then people began planting seeds in his life, Tolkien and others saying, no, you really need to look at Christianity. It's not only a myth, it's the true myth. And he was challenged intellectually, and it was all bouncing around in his head. But then one day, he and his brother decided to go to the zoo, which I just think is kind of funny in itself. Two grown men said, let's go to the zoo. And not only that, to top the story, warning, his brother has a motorcycle with a sidecar. Who does that? And so this is what C.S. Lewis says about his contemplative journey into the Christian faith. And I read his words. When we set out, I did not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And when we reached the zoo, I did. That's it. And I do think sometimes in the Christian life, we sensationalize calling. As if you, if you didn't have some kind of sudden, dramatic experience, you're not called. But there is uh, often a place 
where an overwhelming sense of peace enters our hearts because the Lord has been working on us and we know in a moment, God's calling me. Sometimes God does that. We see this even in the New Testament and the way that decisions were made with the early church in Acts 15, 22. They were having this problem between Jews and Gentiles and what are we gonna do and how are we gonna deal and address this problem? Well, they decided that they would call a meeting and that they would send delegates and they would have some conversation about what they were to do. In Acts 15, 22, it says, it seemed good to the apostles and to the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch. How did they decide? It seemed good to them. They discussed it, they reasoned it, it felt like the right decision, and oftentimes calling comes through that kind of reasoned decision-making process. But there is a third way, and that is community. And that's why I love being a part of these kinds of communities. That's why I love being a part of the local church. It's why I believe that the local church, no matter what pandemic comes upon us, will ever vanish or go away because it is the place where people discover who they are in Christ and where their gifts are best used. And so it's in the midst of community that people often speak into our lives and allow us to see our calling. My calling before being a pastor even began uh, years before that when I worked uh, two summers at Canicut Camps in Branson, Missouri. And so uh, as part of the leadership staff at camp one summer, every Wednesday night, someone did a talk to the middle school students it wasn't called a sermon. I'm not sure I even knew what that was at that point in my life. But I was then tapped. It was my turn on Wednesday night to give the middle school talk. And so I went back to my cabin. I took a couple of Bible verses, put a story with it. And I got up and I did the middle school talk. And when it was over, I had a couple of counselor colleague peers came up to me. And one of them said to me, I'll never forget it. He said, Mandrell, that wasn't horrible. <laughs> Apparently that's what he was expecting. And he said, no, I'm serious. I'm, I'm, you should do that again. You should, be, you should be a speaker. First time anybody ever said that to me. So the next Wednesday night, they put me up again. And soon there was a thing called Counselor Church on Sunday, and I was being asked to lead Counselor Church. People were pushing me in a direction because what I was doing was blessing their lives. And when you get into the local church, I think one of the most exciting things about being a part of the community of Christ is not only are people coming to faith in Christ, which obviously is the greatest thing that can happen, but you begin to see people discover what they were built and designed to do. And your calling so much becomes helping them discover their calling. And it's in the presence of community that this most naturally happens. Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. So for that, we have confidence in the future of church, but also just on a practical level. How will people discover their spiritual gifts in an online viewing experience? We will always have a place called the church where people gather to use their gifts for one another. As we close today, I just wanted to pray for each of you. I wanted to take just a second. I'm, I'm sure that some of you have kind of figured this out. You have a direction. You have at least some clarity about what you'd like to do. If you're like uh, my seminary experience, though, there's, there's quite a few people I went to school with that had no idea, just felt called to be equipped, and then they, they just put their yes on the table. I don't know where God's calling you, but I'm certain that you'd like to know. Uh, and so let me pray for you as we close. Lord, I'm just always blessed to be in the midst of, first of all, just serious students. 
because I believe the foundation that we lie, we lay down intellectually in these years is the foundation that serves us throughout our lives. And so, Lord, thank you for their commitment and devotion to be trained theologically, to be convicted in their faith, and to have those convictions secure before they're out in the field. And Lord, as you call them out into the field, I pray for every student here today. For those who are certain they know where they're going, Lord, I pray that they would be humble in that, willing to admit that you may change their course. And I pray, Lord, that they would have the courage to follow you no matter where you call them. And for all of those who feel a certain sense of confusion or even fear, Lord, I pray that you would remind them that you want to lead us more than we want to follow, and that when the timing is right, whether it's through crisis, contemplation, or community, you will bring crystal clarity to what they are to do in the next season of their ministry. Lord, thank you for the faithfulness of the faculty and staff here at Midwestern. Thank you for how this seminary has just exploded and grown over the last decade. Lord, I'm so proud and thankful to be associated with Midwestern, and I pray that you continue to bless them as they prepare students for the church. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.